Our text, as we continue in Matthew, is found in Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 through 39. A very solemn passage of Scripture to which we are to affix our attention this morning. Matthew chapter 23. Verses 37 through 39. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. When the Lord Jesus Christ descended the Mount of Olives, when he descended upon that colt of a donkey, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9, thy king cometh unto thee, riding upon an ass and a colt, the foal of an ass, he comes meek, he comes lowly, he comes down the Mount of Olives, which begins the last week of his earthly ministry before the cross. When he did so, we learned in Luke chapter 19, verse 18, that the multitude cried, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But the Lord knew something. He also knew the cry that was going to come a few days later. He also knew that the very same crowd that proclaimed that blessedness would also cry, crucify him, which would come in just a few days. They thought that he was the Messiah of their dreams. He was the mighty conqueror, they thought, that would deliver them from Roman oppression, the Romans that occupied their land and ruled over them. But their unfounded hope would be dashed soon when they realized that he was not the kind of Messiah for which they had hoped, then the rejection would come very quickly. It was no surprise to him, none whatsoever, because he knew their hearts. He knew the condition of their hearts. He knew the sin that darkened their hearts. He knew they cared for themselves. only for themselves that they were ready to turn from the only one who could save them from sin and who could bring them to God the real reason he came into the world and the heart of the Savior was broken no one ever loved like he 
No one so completely self-denied as he. So that he laments with the deepest of grief and sorrow, not for himself, but for them. This is not only shown in our passage. Not only when he would have the cross on his shoulders and would say to the daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. But when he descended the Mount of Olives, amidst those shouts of praise, he knew full well what was ahead. You can read that in the 19th chapter of Luke. In Luke chapter 19, and we'll read verses 41 through 44. And when he came near, that is, to Jerusalem, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side. And they shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. He who is God, essentially, the great Jehovah, man inclusively, God and man in one glorious person. Again, he laments. Again, likely with tears in his holy eyes over the awful judgment of divine justice that must come. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thee under my wings as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and you would not. We cannot reach into things higher than human reason can attain. We're taught in Holy Scripture that salvation is of God, all of God. That he chose to salvation all who would be brought to believe. And that that choice was made before the foundation of the world. But God also speaks through the prophet Ezekiel saying, quote, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his ways and live. God is a God of justice, a God of perfect justice, justice that must judge for sin and will do so. But he is also clearly shown in Scripture to be filled with mercy. The whole compassionate ministry of our Lord shows that. 
But in salvation, he shows mercy on whom he will show mercy. And he extends that mercy, that saving mercy, to a vast multitude from every nation, including an elect remnant from the nation that rejected and crucified him. By the cross. By Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because the Lamb of God was slain. All who are brought to believe. To an actual repentance from sin. And come to him. Are forgiven. Cleansed. become his alone who died for them and rose again so in this solemn passage of scripture what do we find we find combined before us both the deepest lament from the compassionate heart of the Lord Jesus Christ combined with the severity of divine judgment that must come. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children to gather even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, he who alone is salvation. He who came to save those not only lost to God, but lost to their own eternal interest. He outpours his deep grief over Jerusalem as he perfectly sees what lies ahead. Coming, unavoidable judgment. He who from ages past, as he said through the ancient prophecy of Isaiah, I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. He had now come personally to Israel. He had now come in person to the nation with human hands outstretched ready to receive all who would hear, who would believe, and who would come to him. Often the Lord Jesus Christ had come to Jerusalem. This was the final trip before the cross. But he'd come often to Jerusalem, teaching in the synagogues and in the temple, to multitudes on the mountainside, doing good, healing, performing miraculous works never before seen. And we hear that they were astonished at his doctrine, his teaching. They saw, they experienced his miracles. Many of them healed from dreaded diseases. Even his enemies would have to acknowledge, quote, 
this man did many miracles. There would be many who'd come up with the question, is not this the son of David, meaning the Messiah? Is not this the son of David? And multitudes at the recent descent down the Mount of Olives would give the cry you find in Matthew chapter 21. And in verse 9. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. In the highest. But he from whose heart and from whose mind no heart of man could ever be hidden. He knew full well it was not he, not he, the Son of God and the Savior of sinners they really wanted. He was not the kind of Messiah. Their selfish hearts desired and imagined. Soon, at Jerusalem, the capital, the heart and center of the nation, from those drawn from all parts of it at the Passover, the awful condemning cry would come from them when they realized he was not come to set up the kingdom of their dreams. We will not have this man to reign over us. The Lord's lament. O Jerusalem. Jerusalem. It's the expression of deeper grief than we can possibly fathom. Though deeper than it. It reminded me of David's intense grief over the death of the son that died in rebellion against him. Oh, my son, Absalom. My son, my son, my son, Absalom. Cried David. For long ages, Jehovah had sent forth his messengers and his prophets. Exposing sin, calling to repentance. But they hated and killed the messengers because they loved their sins. So that as we read together from Proverbs chapter 1 this morning, I have stretched forth my hand and no man regarded and says they would none of my reproof. And now Jehovah was in their presence in a body of flesh and blood walking their streets. teaching in their synagogues, healing their sick, calling to repentance. 
the one the prophets said would come came and the final rejection would be awful he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not he came unto his own and his own received him not. Now, the Lord of the prophets would have to say, how often would I have? How often would I have? In essence, I would. Ye would not. It's not the fault of the gospel that men will not hear it and heed it. It is not the fault of the gospel. Every time the word of God goes forth, every time the word is preached, every time a teacher or parent or concerned and witnessed in Christian gives forth the word of God, the Lord's hand is stretched out. that the general call of the gospel is refused, neglected, or like the disturbed Festus put off to, quote, a more convenient time, which never comes. The problem is not the gospel. The problem is the sin-bound, self-seeking wills of men who will have their sins not a savior from sin. The Lord Jesus uses the instinct of a hen, the protective instinct of a hen for her chicks to show how willingly he would have received those who refused him. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth the chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Like the hen that senses danger and calls by her clucking to her chicks to come and run under beneath her wings. The Lord had warned of the wrath to come. He knew what was coming. He called to repentance. He called to come to him and be delivered from the greatest danger there is. But they would not heed his reproofs. They refused his calls. They were stiff-necked obstinate, rebellious, just like their forefathers. And like birds of prey, ready to catch and devour chicks, they would become the, the prey of the Roman eagle in 40 years. 
even worse. They would die in their sins. Never again to hear the pleading Savior. Ever. Forever tortured by their conscience just as much as they would be tortured by the fires of Gehenna. The eternal hell of torment. On the other hand, how blessed those who hear with the hearing of faith, those who perceive the awful danger that sin exposes them to, who are gathered, who come to him, who has both healing in his wings and, as in the Psalms, are brought under his protection, under his wings. As in Psalm 94. Behold, your house is left unto you, desolate. When Christ leaves, that's a solemn thought, isn't it? When Christ leaves, nothing can be left except desolation. And he doesn't stay where he's not wanted. The departure of the Lord, the promised Messiah, the one all the prophets pointed to, the true eternal King of Israel, the only Savior, leaves, and only desolation can be the result. His voice would be no longer heard in the streets, the synagogues, or the temple. No longer would his feet carry him to sick and broken bodies. No longer would multitudes gather before him to hear his teaching and be astonished at them, as the scripture says. And if indeed it is the special reference to the deserted house as reference to the temple, it must include also the leaving of the capital city and the nation itself. It was in the temple where God appointed the way to himself, gave in picture and type his salvation that would come in Christ, Messiah, whose sacrifice 
was made in the temple where God had symbolically dwelt in the bright Shekinah cloud above the mercy seat between the cherubim. It was called the house of God. The house of God. And when, as we shall see in the next chapter, oh, no matter what chapters we have in chapters 24 and 25, when that chapter 24 begins and Jesus went out and departed from the temple, Jehovah, the God of Israel, Jehovah who had come in human flesh and did nothing but good toward them. He who came unto his own and his own received him not. When he left, it was the most solemn judgment that could come. He would not be seen again. Not until he comes the second time. When, as Revelation 1-7 declares, every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. This is when not only every eye shall see him, but every knee will bow before him. Every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. Those who died in sin Horrific thought. And those who died in the Lord. Those who believed and came to him. And those who would not have this man to reign over them. Those who would then inherit the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world. And those who would go away into everlasting punishment shall all in that day confess him as Lord. The multitude. The multitude had but recently cried at the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. The same multitude that would cry a few days later, crucify him. Will be forced at the last to bow before him and say the same words. But then it is too late. Isn't that an awful thought? 
Too late. Only those now who know the blessedness of the Lord's presence with them. Only those now who know the life that He gives. Only those now who see Him by faith. And have been saved with His everlasting salvation. Who by His cross are crucified to their own old sinful self in this fallen world. Who desire Him above all. Who desire communion with Him above all. Who have tasted and found that the Lord is gracious. Only they. Only they could begin to know the worst sentence that could ever be passed upon the wicked. The worst sentence that could possibly be passed upon the wicked. The horrific sentence is not simply go into everlasting punishment. The sentence is go away into everlasting punishment. The sentence is depart from me, ye cursed. Into everlasting fire. Prepared for the devil. And his angels. The sentence. Depart from me. All ye who work iniquity. The awful end of those who never came with a broken and contrite heart over sin against God. Living for self. Living to fulfill selfish desires. Some who professed but did not possess Christ. Who did not surrender themselves to him as Lord alone. Those who do not have heart to cry. Thou, O Christ, art all I want. More than all in thee I find. As in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9. These, quote, shall be punished with everlasting punishment from the presence of the Lord.
only souls who've been brought under the work of God's wondrous grace, who've been embraced by and embrace a love that will never let them go, that uttermost love, the end of which we cannot fathom. Who find that love expressed to them in the highest way they can comprehend. Have been drawn by it. Who know and believe that by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their sins are put away. Because the Christ of the cross wanted them forever with him. They, we say, they alone, above all, want him, desire him, receive him, love him. And blessed be God. If that is you, you have the greatest promise there is. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. The true believer, the redeemed of the Lord, the sanctified in Christ Jesus finds the greatest grief when the presence of the Lord is not sensed. They want nothing without him. They want to go nowhere without him. They want to do nothing without him. They're like John Newton in a hymn we don't have in our hymnal. How tedious and tasteless the hours. When Jesus no longer I see. Sweet birds, sweet prospects, sweet flowers have all lost their sweetness to me. The one who knows him is most grieved when his presence is not known with them and sensed. The true believer, the believer, the redeemed of the Lord, the sanctified in Christ Jesus, again, finds their greatest grief when the presence of the Lord is not known. When some sin or something selfishly sought apart from him some deceitful worldly desire seems to hide his face. That's the time to confess sin. That's the time to acknowledge that something has taken the place that should belong to him and him only. That's 
when the, shy, the cry should come. Be merciful to me, O Lord, and hide not thy face from me. Over and over again, I read in the Psalms, over and over again, as for instance in Psalm 35, verse 22, this thou hast seen, O Lord. Keep not silence, O Lord, be not far from me. His sweet presence, the joy of knowing his countenance is toward you. The warning him above everything in this world. The finding in him more than all else combined in this life. And peace. With abundant life. And joy unspeakable. And full of glory. That would never be had by those the Lord laments O Jerusalem Jerusalem thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee how often how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings and you would not now, it's too late. Do you have the blessed hope? Do you have the blessed hope of Christ's return in glory for you? What is the greatest blessing of that coming day for the truly redeemed and saved by the Lord? What is the greatest blessing of that day to come? When the Lord Jesus Christ shall descend from heaven and judge the world and gather his own eternally unto himself. Some in that day will be forever banished from his presence. Depart from me, ye cursed. Into everlasting fire. Prepared for the devil and his angels. Horrific thought. The most horrible thought there is, is the thought of dying in sin. Why? Because he says, if you die in your sins, where I am, there you cannot come. But those who look to him, those who long for him, 
those who are waiting for him shall have the realization of their hearts fulfilled in that day. Dear believing saint, does your heart jump with joyful anticipation when you hear what awaits all who know and love the Savior, the Lord himself? shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. God bless the ministry of his holy word.